Could you design the perfect economy? What do you think the ideal system would look like? You don't need an economics degree to look around and recognize that something isn't working. Most of us have frustrations with the current system. It may not be something you think about on a daily basis, but when bills come due, or you see others enjoying extravagant lifestyles that make you feel left behind, do you find yourself wondering if there's a better way? In these moments, you might find yourself saying, if only taxes were just a little lower, if only the government provided a little more. It's only natural to try to find solutions for our frustrations. So what's your solution? Do away with taxes entirely? Raise the minimum wage a few dollars an hour? Buy lottery tickets and hope for the best? I'm sorry to say it, none of those are going to fix things for everyone. On today's program, we'll begin by taking a real look at the current economic situation here in Canada and how it is impacting your life and the lives of those around you. We'll examine some of the potential solutions being offered and see the ultimate reason why every economic system we've tried has failed. We'll also look at some good news, that the same solution which could improve the entire system is something that can also be implemented on a personal level with exceptional results. I'm Michael Haku. Join me for today's edition of Tomorrow's World as we examine why economies fail. Welcome to Tomorrow's World. Today we're discussing why economies fail. Throughout history, many different systems have been tried, from feudalism to socialism, communism to capitalism. Yet none has succeeded in providing a lasting, balanced economy. They all contain the same fatal flaw. Each one overlooks a basic trait of human nature. It's unlikely that any nation will change its economic policies based on this program. But if you can account for this fatal flaw in your life, the results will be remarkable. Before we delve into the cause of economic failure, we need to take an honest look at the world around us. Many recent headlines have proclaimed the success of the economic recovery, that the major performance indicators are up and sunny days are here. I can't help but ask, if the economy is improving, why doesn't it feel that way? Have you seen the various debt clock websites which vividly pronounce the debt accrued by different nations? You can watch as the numbers soar, numbers such as 19 trillion in the United States, 4 trillion in France, or 648 billion here in Canada. These numbers are so large that they are difficult to comprehend. Once you're 19 trillion in debt, is another trillion or two really cause for concern? These numbers quickly become easier to understand when divided among the nation's population. It is far easier to picture $17,784, your share of the national debt. Unfortunately, that is really only the beginning of the picture. If you live in British Columbia, you need to add $14,200 to account for your share of the provincial debt. Those watching in New Brunswick need to add 18,206. And for those here in Ontario, where Tomorrow's World is recorded, you can add $21,724, making your share of the provincial and national debts 39508 That's the hole we're starting from. 
Many have added to that debt with car loans, student loans, credit cards, and mortgages. The numbers can quickly become disheartening. As personal debt in Canada continues to soar, debt has become a natural state of being for many. Our recent Global News article highlights just how little financial wiggle room many Canadians have. More than half of Canadians are living within $200 per month of not being able to pay all of their bills or meet their debt obligations. A whopping 31% of respondents said they already don't make enough to meet all their financial obligations. Now, consider that wages have been relatively stagnant. Inflation in Canada is minimal these days, but it's still stronger than wage growth, meaning wages are effectively falling. This is affecting the way Canadians live their day-to-day -day lives. It is natural for parents to want to see their children have a greater quality of life than they had. I know my parents want me and my siblings to have more than they did. I have three young children. I want to see them excel. Unfortunately, we are leaving quite the bill for our kids to pay. Consider this headline from McLean's. It illustrates the bleak reality that something once seen as commonplace is becoming increasingly out of reach. For many young Canadians, home won't be a house. The article goes on to say, a generation of Canadians that took space for granted is now discovering that their future will be measured in 900 square feet or less. That needn't be a big deal, except it is a big deal for a lot of people. The changing economy is already altering our society. It is changing how and where we live. This in turn impacts our relationships and our ability to start a family. Increased household debt can be an extreme source of stress, which can bring on any number of health problems. We cannot ignore this and hope it goes away. This economic recovery that wasn't did not happen by accident. In the next part of our program, we'll examine two of the most commonly suggested solutions. Some believe the problem could be solved by paying higher taxes to a larger government in a more pure form of socialism. Others want a purely capitalist society with minimal taxes, minimal social programs, and minimal government. When we return, we'll see that ultimately both of these plans have the same flaw. We have a wide variety of literature available, which we will mail for free, or if you prefer, you can download them at our website. Today's featured booklet is The Ten Commandments. In it, the late Dr. Roderick Meredith goes through each of the Ten Commandments, showing how principles contained within the law can positively impact every aspect of your life. A society that observed these ten laws would not find itself in an economic mess. One of these commandments in particular is the solution to the problem we are looking at today. Give us a call, write, or visit us online to request your free copy of The Ten Commandments right away. I'll be back in a moment and we'll examine potential solutions to fix the economy. Don't miss out on this captivating free booklet. We have operators ready to take your call. Simply ask for the Ten Commandments. You can also order online at TWCanada.org. There's no catch. There's no hidden cost. Here at Tomorrow's World, we believe that the truth should not be sold. This booklet describes how you can improve your life and the lives of your loved ones. Dial the number on your screen or visit us online to get your free copy. If you missed our contact information, keep watching and I will be back to give it to you again.
Welcome back. We've been looking at the current state of the economy here in Canada and how it is changing the lifestyle of Canadians. Many of you don't need convincing that the economic system around us is failing. Watch any election and you'll find no shortage of politicians, analysts and activists who believe that they have the answer. Solutions put forward generally fall into one of two sides. Listen to either side long enough and you can be convinced that fixing our economy is as simple as increasing or decreasing the size of government, raising or lowering taxes. On paper, either solution seems to work. In reality, political parties have taken turns governing for decades and neither has been able to establish a balanced, sustainable economy. This is due to the fact that neither side has a solution for the root cause of the problem, greed. Let's examine both solutions to see the problem. Socialism is defined by businessdictionary.com as individuals should have access to what they need but are also rewarded based on their contribution to society. Large-scale industry and public services should be communally or government-owned and managed to ensure the benefits flow to society as a whole. Health care, child care, care of the elderly, disability, and much more end up administered by a strong central government. High tax rates cause wealth to be redistributed, narrowing the gap between the haves and the have-nots. It's not hard to see the appeal. Robin Hood was popular for a reason. It is unmistakable that there are individuals out there who through no fault of their own are unable to provide these essentials for themselves. We should want to fill that void and help them out. Let's look at Occupy Wall Street movement to identify some problems with this type of system. The one thing we all have in common is that we are the 99% that will no longer tolerate the greed and corruption of the 1%. An obvious reference to the well-known yet still appalling statistic that the top 1% of households in the United States own somewhere between 30 to 40% of all privately held wealth. It is devolved into an us-against-them mentality where the successful are vilified simply for being successful. It's easy to believe that everything is a right and that everything should be provided when it is someone else who is asked to pay the bill. It is only natural when we see some living in poverty while others enjoy inconceivable luxury to say, hold on a minute here, something's not right. You'd be correct. There is something wrong with that picture and we'll get to that in a moment. However, the cries that the 1% should be stripped of their wealth in order to raise the standard of living for the 99% is unsustainable. And I would argue, not something that the majority of the so-called 99% would be willing to follow through on should they find themselves in the 1%. There are many sincere individuals who would be willing to significantly lower their standard of living to help others. But to think that the majority of those out there calling for extreme wealth distribution would feel the same way if they were in the 1% is just not realistic. Would they be willing to extend their desired solution beyond the borders of Canada and the United States? You see, as the old commercial goes, you may be richer than you think. If we were to identify a global 1%, an income of $32,400 a year will allow you to make the cut. Those of you making $50,000 a year, how does redistributing the wealth of the top 1% sound now? Many are quick to suggest redistributing someone else's money, but opinions change when it's your wallet that suffers. 
That's not even getting into the potential for waste and corruption that accompanies a large government bureaucracy. What about capitalism? To highlight the shortcomings of capitalism, let's listen to an excerpt from Dr. Richard Wolff, Professor of Economics Emeritus from the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. Capitalism, I would argue, is not working. When the wages stopped rising in America after the 1970s, how did the American standard of living keep going up over the last 30 years when the wages didn't? We borrowed, we borrowed, just like them. But you know, after a while, if your wages are flat, and the only way you can increase your standard of living is by borrowing, you don't need rocket science to understand eventually you'll have a level of debt you can't support on a flat wage. And here in this country, who lent to the working class for 30 years? The business community, who were making a lot of money because the wages were flat for 30 years, and so they cashed in. And they made a lot of money, which they turned around and lent to the workers. Who lent to the Greeks? The Germans, who made a lot of money because they kept their prices down and nobody could compete with them. And so they made a ton of money, which they lent to the poor countries to allow them to keep buying the stuff produced in the rich countries. But when it can't do it anymore, it's over. Trickle-down economics only works when the upper portions actually allow the wealth to trickle down. Greed is the fatal flaw that keeps both capitalism and socialism from working. While capitalism allows the wealthy to leave the rest behind, socialism encourages those who under different circumstances could support themselves to instead demand handouts. Am I painting with a broad brush here? Of course I am. There are sincere, generous individuals on each side of the argument. Members of every tax bracket have found ways to help those around them. Those individuals should be commended. The problem is basic human nature. We all think, first and foremost, of our own needs. All too often, we see ourselves as an exception, that we should have just a little more than those around us. The reality is that as long as greed remains a part of our society, there is no economic system that can be put in place that in time won't either collapse under its own weight or begin leaving people far behind. But overcoming greed is not something that has to be done by everyone else for you to notice a difference in your own life. In the next part of our program, we'll turn to the source of the original decree against greed, the Bible. You may be amazed to see how a book written thousands of years ago still expresses principles that lead to success today. The booklet we are offering, The Ten Commandments, explores how these ten laws are still applicable today. It also refutes many misconceptions about the Ten Commandments, answering many questions you may have about why they were given and how they are still in effect. Order your free copy now, and I'll be back in a moment to examine the last, but not least of these commands, you shall not covet. And be sure to keep watching through the end of the program for our new questions and answers segment. Order your free copy today and discover the wonders of God's law. Simply call the number on the screen and ask for the Ten Commandments. You can also order online at TWCanada.org. Have you ever wondered why morality is under attack? Is the Bible still relevant? Or what does God expect of me? We answer these questions and more in Tomorrow's World magazine.
Don't wait a moment longer. Call or visit us online to order your free copy of the Ten Commandments. Enjoy the rest of today's program. Welcome back to Tomorrow's World. We've been looking at potential solutions to Canada's and the rest of the world's economic problems. Let it never be said that we don't tackle big issues. And we've found the popular solutions put forward to be lacking. Mankind has not been able to devise a system that overcomes human nature, our proclivity for greed. Unfortunately, the solution of removing greed from society is a little beyond the reach of you and I today. However, we can change ourselves. The entire society doesn't need to change for you to begin reaping the benefits of living within your means, finding worth beyond material possessions, and adhering to the command, Thou shall not covet. Sadly, there are many out there who extol the virtues of greed. Some believe that a world without greed would be void of work ethic, ingenuity, and entrepreneurship. This is false. Let's turn once more to businessdictionary.com for a definition of greed. Greed describes a desire to have or acquire something that is not necessary for their own survival, but also to the detriment of another. In addition, greed usually describes someone that cannot have enough. The more he or she attains, the more he or she wants and is never satisfied. Essentially, greed is the love of power, money, possessions, or anything else to the point where one begins to bend the rules, loosen their morality, or otherwise negatively affect those around them in order to obtain the object of desire. In his first epistle to Timothy, Paul describes the problem as follows. But those who desire to be rich shall fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This passage is often misquoted as saying that the love of money is the root of all evil. It is not the only motivation for evil, but it is one we need to be especially wary of. I also want to draw your attention to Paul's conclusion that greediness results in sorrow. Many have found themselves deep in debt, even filing for bankruptcy. Others have landed in jail for theft or fraud. Greed results in sorrow. King Solomon described the basic consuming nature of greed in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. For some, enough is just never enough. Greed is not a one-time thing. It can take control of your life without you even realizing. Proverbs contains a wealth of scriptures on the topic, but let's just notice one which shows that the results of coveting are not just financial. Reading from the New International Version, The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. How true it is. When someone is only out for themselves, they can be very difficult to get along with. The Bible is clear that when someone is living a godly life, it is a benefit to all around them. It is equally clear, as our own experiences likely confirm, that breaking God's laws, including the law restricting coveting, is harmful not only to the one committing the act, but also to those around them. 
In Romans, Paul goes as far as to describe refraining from coveting as an act of love. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. James includes a stern warning for those who have abused others in order to gain wealth. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. Some have come to the conclusion that God hates the rich, that we should shun our possessions and lead a life of poverty. But notice the issue in this passage is not the fact that they have wealth. That is not condemned. The problem is how they got it, by taking advantage of their employees, by being greedy. Let's not come to the conclusion that the Bible is against wealth. Heroes of the Bible, such as Abraham, Joseph, and David, were well known for their wealth. The issue is how wealth is obtained and the focus of the individual obtaining it. In fact, the principles outlined in the Bible are principles that lead to productivity, stability, and success in all aspects of life, including your finances. Paul describes the antidote to greed, learning to be content. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned to both be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I hope we can all attain such a state of contentment. It may seem difficult, but the next verse provides encouragement. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you want to learn more about this remarkable commandment, you shall not covet and the rest of the Ten Commandments. I encourage you to order your free copy of The Ten Commandments. I first read this booklet while I was a student in high school and have reread it several times since. It has had a tremendous effect on my life and I believe it can do the same for you. Thank you for joining me today. This topic, Why Economies Fail, is no small matter. All around the world, people are desperately seeking a solution. The effects of the subprime mortgage crisis and sovereign debt crisis are still being felt around the world. Nations are faced with increased division as the gap between rich and poor gets wider and wider by the day. We live in a world where some have enough money to make space tourism a reality, while others live their entire lives on less than a dollar a day. This is not sustainable. While we may see an economic recovery to some degree, there is no doubt that a lasting solution has not yet been implemented. The two main approaches put forward are flawed. As the situation continues to deteriorate, watch for those on either side to continue vilifying those who disagree with them. Until human nature is overcome and greed becomes a thing of the past, these struggles will continue. That is the time we look forward to here on Tomorrow's World. But you can break free of the present system. You can learn to find contentment in what you have, to implement biblical principles of good finance, and to properly show love for those around you. The Bible is filled with sustainable solutions to the problems facing our world today. 
It is a place few think to look, and too many of those who do so try to put their own ideas into Scripture instead of the other way around. Keep watching Tomorrow's World as we explore the exciting way of life outlined in this inspired book. See you next time. To learn more about today's topic, visit TWCanada.org. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895 or by writing us at Tomorrow's World, P.O. Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M0P6. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine revealing God's principles for leading an abundant and happy life while providing insight into current and future events. Welcome to Tomorrow's World Answers, where we answer your questions straight from the Bible. Today's question is, did Paul do away with the law? Did the Apostle Paul teach Christians that the law of God was no longer required? There are many sincere people in the world that define themselves as Christian who believe the New Testament and in particular the Apostle Paul taught the law of God was done away. Is that really the case? Well, let's look at what Paul actually wrote and taught. The Ten Commandments as found in Exodus chapter 20 make up the core of God's law. Let's see which ones Paul instructed to be kept. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor thieves, nor covetous will inherit the kingdom of God. Five commandments are listed here. Understanding that to break the second on idolatry is to break the first as well, having no gods before the true God. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Several are listed again here, with the additional inclusion of murder bringing us to six. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. That brings us to eight. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now at nine, we shall see one more commandment taught through his example. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. He kept the seventh day Sabbath, Saturday. Thus we see that the Apostle Paul strongly taught that all of the Ten Commandments are still in force. He taught this to both Jew and Gentile. Well, what did Paul say about this law? For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. From the pages of the Bible, it is patently untrue that the New Testament teaches people the law of God was no longer valid. In fact, the very opposite is the case. God's law is eternal, so says your Bible. If you would like to submit a question for the show, email us 
at the address shown on the screen. Be sure to watch us online at TWCanada.org or by searching Tomorrow's World Answers on YouTube. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call 1-866-784-7895. Write or visit us online today. This program is a production of The Living Church of God.